what providence God has given us today, given me today, in the fact that this message, this passage about Christ rebuking the disciples for being overly concerned about lunch falls on the day that we fall back. And the fact that right now it is about 12.13, your body says, and the clock says 11.13. So as you are thinking about food, God has already kindly given us some direction. Actually, I think it is a a very good intro to the passage today, because I think what it it reminds us is that that we are very easily influenced by by the world around us, by needs, by cares, very easily distracted, even when we in intention on on uh, on pressing in. You've gathered here this morning not to just check a box, but but because you want to hear from the from the Lord. You might not have thought too deeply about that, but you could be anywhere else other than here. But you've chosen to to be to be here this morning. And yet, even as I preach, even as the God speaks from His Word, you're you're going to find yourself drifting in and out of hopefully not consciousness, but in and out of of paying attention. And you're going to have to continually bring yourself back and bring yourself back and bring yourself back. And I have to do the do the the same thing. There's there's nothing wrong with you. You don't you don't need um, uh, an ADD diagnosis. It's it's actually because you're a you're a human being and you live in a fallen world and, and you're the the real part of you, the spiritual part of you, is encased in in human flesh and you will battle that. And so so I would just commend you for for battling that this morning. Now, we said in Mark chapter 8, that's where we're at, so you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We read the passage, but we're, we're starting this new chapter, and there are actually three scenes related to spiritual eyesight. And last week we saw the Pharisees, they illustrate a person who's too blind to see. They demand more information, more revelation, more proof from God with no intention whatsoever of doing anything with it. We saw how Jesus dealt with the, with the Pharisees. This week we have the, the denseness of the disciples and we fall into that, into that category. We are those who see but don't always believe, right? We see. We, we believe. Help our unbelief. That's what we pray. We, our eyes have been opened. We sing Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. But just because you sing that song and that reality has come to you at some point in life, you, you, you still are not believing at, at times or not believing to the extent that, that, that you need to. And the disciples think Jesus is, is talking about them forgetting their bread when, when he's actually warning them about the, the influence of the of the Pharisees. And when you put those scenes together, they're all about spiritual sight. And the next miracle where Jesus actually progressively opens the eyes of a blind, a blind man answer gives the answer to that. Christ is the answer. He can overcome he could overcome both. And spiritual blindness is a disease of the heart. And no amount of religious activity or supernatural events will cure that, the Pharisees declare to us. Spiritual denseness is a problem of the heart. And we'll see how the Lord deals with the disciples whenever we, we, we get there. Now, 
This story is a crucial moment in the gospel of, of Mark and in, in, in the in, in the gospels. Jesus, his ministry lasting around three years. It's a crucial point, and, and it's a bridge. Jesus is leaving Galilee, and you think of the the scene with the Pharisees as the as getting on the first side of the bridge, and think of the disciples coming off the other side of the bridge. But but this is a this is a bridge. From here, the gospel story takes a decisive turn. The leaders of Israel, on behalf of their nation, make their final verdict in Galilee that Jesus is not their Messiah. And so in verse 13, Jesus left them. It's the last time he ministers publicly in Galilee. It's a significant moment. It's very it's grieving in one sense and righteous in, in another There's one more short moment in Mark chapter 9, at the end of Mark chapter 9 that we're going to see, where Jesus goes into Galilee, but he specifically says in Mark 9.30, he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples, telling them that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men. So one more foray through Galilee, but he tells no one about it because it's specifically for the disciples and it's to teach the disciples that he's going to be delivered into the hands of, of these men that, that are there. No more miracles, no more teaching, because they rejected so many times that God gave them what they desired. The worst judgment that God can give you is no judgment at all. The worst thing that God could do is leave you alone and give you exactly what your heart wants. I'm like you. I don't like the discipline of the Lord. I don't like to be taken to the woodshed. I don't like the struggle. I don't like the fight. But it is the greatest gift that God provides for us because if there wasn't a struggle and wasn't a fight, we would run headlong deeper into the darkness and be completely without, without hope or without, without light. And that's what you were. It's who you were before you, you came to Christ. Spiritually blind. You're naturally blind. The natural man does not understand the things of God. Your sin made you even blinder. You, you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You love darkness rather than light. Satan, uh, as part of that process, the God of this world blinds the minds of, of unbelievers. And if you remain that way, then ultimately you're going to be blind for all eternity. Hell is called outer what? Darkness. No light. And now Jesus is going to turn to those who have followed him, the the disciples, who are following but lack understanding. And the passage is really really a mirror. Um, I can see the grace of God in my life in in this passage. The Pharisees don't deny Christ's miracles. They demand to sign to for him to prove it. The disciples also don't deny the miracles of Christ. He asked them about two in particular. They even participated in them. But they were failing to grasp who he, who he really is or who he really was. And I wonder if, if, if you would fall into that category this morning. You claim to believe in Jesus, and you do. You, you even do the things that he commands. But you have yet to grasp who he truly is. You're a disciple, but you're a distracted one most of the time. You fumble around in your discipleship, dull, 
tripping over life, in and out of spiritual growth only to fall back into into spiritual dullness. And if that's you, I want you to listen today because the Lord's going to teach you how to improve your spiritual eyesight. That's the outline. Four habits that Jesus teaches the disciples here and would apply to us. Four habits that improve spiritual eyesight. That's, that's his target. They have yet to understand. They lack understanding, but they believe. They're his disciples. They're his followers And so Jesus is going to talk about improving their spiritual eyesight and yours this morning. And the first thing that he tells them is to avoid being preoccupied with earthly things. Then he tells them, beware the influence of godless things. Then he says, receive the disclosure of spiritual things. And finally, he says, remember the lessons of experienced things. Avoid being preoccupied with earthly things. Beware the influence of godless things. Receive the disclosure of spiritual things and remember the lesson of experienced things. Let's look at this first one. If you didn't write those down, you'll have an opportunity. Avoid being preoccupied with with earthly things. And you find that in verse 14. Really 14 through 16, but 14 is is where you you launch, and there's this predicament of provision. Look at verse 14. It says, And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than than one loaf in the boat with them. Now, you really have to go back to verse 13 to get the the context, for those of you who weren't here last week, that the passage starts there. They, They went away to the other side, so they get into the boat, and they had forgotten to take bread, verse 14 says. So here's the predicament of a provision for the disciples. And the account it has, a, has, the, has the interaction with the Pharisees as the backdrop. And, and Jesus wanting to teach the disciples in, in light of that. And, and this predicament, the fact that they don't have bread, it really gives you an insight of how quickly they depart. How quickly they depart the conflict with the with the, the Pharisees and scribes. He leaves them standing on the shore. So a friend of mine used to say, uh, kicking rocks, uh, talking to themselves. <laughs> Gives them, leaves them there, standing on the shore, and the disciples get in the boat so abruptly that they forgot to, forgot to take bread. And their predicament, they says, it is, they say, has, has, has two issues. They've forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf. There are two things that he says. They forgot to take bread. They forgot to take their provision. And the provision that they have is, is insufficient. And the Greek gives the idea that, that they start talking about this as soon as they get into the boat. Not just when Jesus brings up the leaven. The bringing up the leaven actually causes them to, to worry about what they're, what they're, they're discussing. They, they're like, Hey, did, did you bring the bread? No, did, did, did you bring the bread? I thought you were going to bring the bread, but we didn't have time to get the bread. And there's this conversation going on, and Jesus is, is in the middle of the, the boat. Now, normally people wouldn't have taken large provisions. They don't, it's not like that they're, you know, they've got this big gunny sack of food that they haul around with them everywhere. Those, those 12 baskets 
of the of the of the first feeding of the Jews was was a, was a little little lunchbox, and that's typically what you would have taken. You would have taken enough food for you for for one day. So they don't have provisions, and there's only one of them that has enough for for really a, a snack. And somebody realizes that, and they begin to talk about it. Now, some people have tried to uh, say the one loaf is a symbol of Jesus. There's nothing really in the passage that, that indicates that. I think that the emphasis is, is more the disciples were concerned about their limited resources. Now, could Jesus take care of limited resources? Of course he can. He did it with five, he did it with seven, and he can do it with one. But the bigger issue here is, is, the, is the problem of, of perception. And that, that's found in the, in the context. Now, think about what just happened here. And where the disciples' focus is at. I'm trying to emphasize how significant of a moment this is even in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has just had one of the most serious confrontations that he's ever had. And probably in the top five that he ever will have with the leaders of Judaism. These are the individuals that have come up from Jerusalem. These are not just, you know... Galilean street preachers. These are the heavy hitters from Jerusalem. And they just rejected their Messiah. And Jesus makes the statement, no sign will be, will be given. And he walks away physically and symbolically leaving them without truth. That's massive. And Jesus says, not only them, but this generation will be left without any additional sign. And all of Israel that's following the leaders of Judaism, corrupt, bankrupt Judaism, will be left in their, 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 their darkness. And the disciples are, are talking about who brought the chips. Did you bring the chips? I didn't bring the chips. I mean, they didn't miss the heatedness of the moment. The reason that they start talking about this is because they, had, they know they had to leave quickly, so abruptly that they, they were unable to get bread. So when you see that in, in light of the, of the context, the real problem is, is not that they don't have bread. It's this massive preoccupation with with things that really don't matter whatsoever. In light of eternity, whether they got to eat a loaf of bread in the middle of the boat, because wherever they're going they can get more, it, it just, it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you have Jesus sighing deeply and turning from those who are suppressing the truth. And while that's happening, the disciples are preoccupied with lunch. They should have been asking, Lord, Explain to us what, what you just meant, what just happened. Lord, we don't want to be like them. Lord, Lord, please help us understand. But instead, they were worried about, about what they'll, they will eat. And we do the same thing, don't we? Remember, this is the dullness of the disciples. How many times this past week have you had an issue or a conflict or a difficulty? How many times this past week when that happened did you ask... What really matters here in the light of eternity? What, whatever I'm preoccupied with, is it, is it really that important? Does it really affect the kingdom? Or is it just something that is affecting my comfort right now at the, at the moment? And I will have to say, unless I am, I am pressing in and I'm, I'm receiving that that discipline and that battle and that struggle, the answer for me is it's usually about my comfort rather than about the kingdom. And I won't ask for a witness because I know I'd get one, right? Will it endure? 
Is what I'm working on, will it endure? Will it, will it pass away? That will remove a lot of the predicament that, that we think that we're, that we're in. It will also help you live a life that, with, with everything you need. What, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you, and you won't have anything that you need. Is that what he says? All these things will be added. He's not saying take a vow of poverty, don't worry about eating, you know, uh, fumble around out in the middle of the street in some, you know, uh, prophetic-looking robe and shave your head. God will provide what you need. There's life on the earth. You, you live life on the earth. You have to eat. A, a person that doesn't work shouldn't be, shouldn't be cared for. It's, it's part of life under the sun. But we understand, we, we operate on a, a completely different wavelength. We have a different authority, we have a different focus than the rest of the world. We understand that there's a world that there is to come, right? But whatever we do right now reverberates into, into eternity. And some of you are so loaded down with preoccupation concerning earthly things, it's keeping you from hearing the very words that you need to live by on, on the earth. And the disciples were doing that. And, and they, needed to, they needed to be woken up. They needed a lesson on, on the danger that, that, was, that was around them. The preoccupation is not just offensive to God that, that you're, you're not living for Him or paying attention, but, but it's dangerous for your soul. And so look at what Jesus says in... In verse 15, he says, watch out. He was giving orders to them, saying, watch out, beware. There's the, there's the command, and then there's the corruption that, he, that he, he points them to. He was commanding them. It's imperative. Beware. Be alert. Who brought the chips? Forget your chips. Pay attention. He draws their attention back to where it, it needs to be. And, and that's what God does for us, right? I mean... Sometimes he does that through pain, sometimes he does it through difficulty, but he does it every single Sunday, which is why you gather to hear. He draws their attention back to where it needs to be. Why in the world are you thinking about that when you ought to be thinking about the dangerous things that can influence your soul? We've said this so many times. The devil is not you know, the, the little red guy with horns in the pitchfork. He doesn't knock on your door and ask to be invited in. He, he slithers around. He's seductive. You're not to be ignorant of his devices. Same thing with, with your own heart. Be alert to the danger as a result of what just happened. Jesus understands what just happened. They're going to start trying to kill him from this point forward. And they're going to start trying to kill the disciples as well. They're in the crosshairs. Now think about where the disciples are at in their walk with Christ. They're relatively new believers. They're not yet mature. They haven't even come to Caesarea Philippi where they say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's coming in a few verses. They still have a lot to learn. And Jesus warns them about the influence of godless things. It's very important that until you grow some roots, you think very carefully about what or who influences you. It's a newsflash. Not everyone who claims to preach the Bible actually preaches the Bible. 
Not everyone who claims to believe in Jesus actually believes in the Jesus that's revealed in the, revealed in the text of Scripture. And your heart is deceitful above all things. Their heart is deceitful above all things. And unless you, you, you know that they're tying it back to the text, they may not be intentionally deceiving you. They may be deceived themselves. And Ephesians 4 says that, that you have to be equipped so you could be matured, so you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. That's the danger. And that's what Jesus is saying to the, to the first. Pay attention. You're, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed. There's a danger that you're not paying attention to right now. There's the influence of, of godless things. It's Satan's scheme in the, in the garden. I mean, the idea that, that you let your children experience whatever so they can learn is just utter nonsense. I, I mean, it's, Jesus has warned them. And that's what he's doing with the disciples. And he points them to the issue, the corruption. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And yeast represents influence. It's a great illustration because there's just a really, really small amount permeates all of the, all of the materials. It's not always used for evil. It's used for evil in 1 Corinthians 5.8. Evil will permeate everything, and it's used for the growth of the kingdom in Matthew 13. The kingdom starts like a mustard seed and, 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 and grows. And he says, beware the influence of these three godless groups. The Pharisees are the legalists, the Sadducees are the liberals, and the Herodians are the secularists, one commentator said. And all three are contrary to Christ. The leaven of the Sadducees, the influence of the Sadducees, was they denied the supernatural, they denied the Bible, they denied the true need of man. The leaven of the Pharisees, the influence of, of, of the Pharisees, you know well because we've been through that passage, it's, it's externalism, it's the outside working on your heart. The issue of man is not the heart, but his environment. You just rearrange the flesh and you'll be fine. Their teaching, their focus is on self-help. Man is really not that bad. The desperate need is for you to jump through some religious hoop and then you'll be okay. The leaven of Herod, the influence of Herod is, is the influence of the kingdom that's, that's on the earth. Just overthrow the Romans, have, we'll have a good government, we'll be fine. Fix all the social ills and that's all you need to do. And they all miss Christ. And they're everywhere. It's in the air that you breathe. Today, you're going to go and you're going to get in your car and you're going to turn on the radio and you may listen to Spirit FM or whatever on the way home. You're going to, you're going to go home, you're going to turn on the TV and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but the, the air that is around you is influencing you. The people, the, the words, it, it's just there. It's influence. It's everywhere. And as disciples, we're to think and act totally differently. We have a different operating system, a different authority, a different worldview. When you come to Christ, everything in the past is, is set aside. And they have made that clean break. Beware what influences you. You want to have improve your spiritual eyesight? Don't pre be so preoccupied with earthly things. And beware the influences that dim your eyes from seeing who, who God is. Look at this third one. 
He says, receive the disclosure of spiritual things. Verse 16, they began to discuss with one another the fact that that he had no bread, that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? He makes an appeal to them. There's actually, the appeal comes in the form of, of eight questions. There's eight questions here. And all of them are focused on their, their persistent dullness. The first one sets the stage. Why are, you, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why is that even your focus? The next two point to the problem. Do you not yet understand? Do you have a, a hardened heart? The four, fourth and fifth question points him to the fact that it's a spiritual problem. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Having eyes do you not see, ears do you not hear. Six and seven reminds them of something that they'd experienced. He takes them back to the two miracles. And Do you not remember how many baskets you picked up? Do you not remember how many large baskets you picked up? And he, and he ends with making the case for the real problem. Do you not yet understand? Now, I want you to notice that there's a difference in the way that Jesus deals with the Pharisees and the way he deals with the disciples. Jesus makes a statement to the Pharisees. No sign will be given to this generation, but Jesus asks his disciples questions. He's appealing. He's not declaring. Jesus is a master discipler. He's treating them differently. When the Lord uses statements, it's usually for judgment. No sign will be given. You are blind guides leaving the blind. Woe unto you, scribes and, and Pharisees. But he asks the disciples questions. And questions make us think in a way that statements do not. Questions invite us to, to consider. You are spiritually dull. Are you spiritually dull? It's a big difference in the way that you receive it, right? Where is your husband? Jesus asked the woman at the well in John 4. Did Jesus know her condition? And what does she answer? Well, the one I'm with, he ain't my husband. Cain, why are you angry? If you do well, will God not reward you? Where is your brother? Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see how the questions change things? If you're in our... Counseling certification, Brother Mark, will teach you these very well. Jesus wants the disciples not just to consider, but he wants them to change. I mean, why does God ask us questions? So uh, to ponder and consider, oh, yeah, that's a really good question, Lord. He wants us to change. And all these questions imply one thing, a lack of understanding, not seeing, not hearing, not understanding. And the point is dull or insensitive hearts. Eyes that do not see, ears that do not hear are sensory organs that don't function. You have them, but they're not functioning. They're not turned on. My dad, my mom used to say, you got your ears on? Are you listening? Yeah, what's she saying? Listen, pay attention. You're not right now. 
All of them are describing a lack of spiritual awareness. And he doesn't just want to dispense information. He's, he's aiming for heart change. You ever walked up on somebody that can't see? Or spoken to someone out of the sight, out of sight of somebody who can't, who can't hear? They're not even aware you're doing it. So what happens when you get spiritually dull? God is speaking and you're, and, and you're not aware. He's, he's there, but you can't, you can't tell. You have eyes and you have ears, but, but you're not getting anything. And the scary thing is hard hearts don't happen to unbelievers. They have darkened hearts. They're already a heart of stone that needs to be broken. But believers can, their hearts can grow hard. It's an issue for Christians. Hard hearts happen through repeated exposure to the truth and not, not receiving it. It happens when you come in contact with the truth and reject it. This is not just for Christians who are in some deep sin. It's, it's for the disciples that are following Christ, that are in the boat with Christ. It, it happens when you don't embrace the truth and when you come in contact with it. Every time you hear and you reject something, I'll take that, but I'll leave that. God presses something on your heart and you refuse. It forms a callous. That's why God says be, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to, slow to wrath. I mean, a disciple is a learner. It's a ready listener. And the longer you do that, the harder it becomes, which is why Jesus is warning the disciples here. You ever notice the difference between the heart of a child and, and your heart? I just turned 47. Is the heart of a child any less depraved? Does it have any less iniquity infused in it at birth? No. Same depravity. It's tainted by sin. You're born and shaped in iniquity, the Bible says. So why is it different? It's because the longer we operate in the world, being influenced and hearing, the heart gets resistant. The longer you're resistant, the more calluses develops on it. That's why Jesus uses a child as the example of salvation. A child has no accomplishments to, to claim to be, to be to, to, in order to be received. And they have a tendency of tender hearts, fully trusting. And we have no reason to doubt God, do we? He's never let us down. There's the appeal and the application. And he ends here with this, remember the lesson of experienced things. Cause them to a sanctified memory that leads them to a consecrated life. Notice that there are two questions that are entirely different out of, out of these eight All of them are rhetorical except these two. Look at verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, notice they answered, 12. Look at verse 20. When I broke the large baskets, or, or when I broke the... The, the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Notice it's you picked it up. And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? He makes them answer because he wants to press something home. It's the only time that he has them answer. And he says, have you forgotten 
the time I fed the, twi- uh, the, the thousands twice. And notice that they remembered the events. And notice even that they remembered the specific details of the events, 12 and 7. They, they remember the events in detail, but they were missing the whole point of the events. Oh, yeah, we remember that. We remember little baskets. We picked up 12 of them. Big baskets. We picked up seven. We remember. But they were missing the whole point. And it's possible to know all kinds of details about the Bible and about God and to click off the doctrine that's there but miss the whole point entirely. And Jesus asks these questions and the responses drive home the point that they don't get yet who they're with. And if they would have known Him, they wouldn't be concerned about whether He was going to rebuke them for no bread because He fed unbelievers. There's the character of Christ. He had compassion on Jew and Gentile who were far from the relationship that He had with the disciples. If, if they knew Him, they wouldn't be concerned about having enough bread because He's able to provide for them capacity of Christ. He fed thousands twice. Surely he can feed twelve. Most of our anxiety is rooted in the same unbelief. We fail to believe one of those two things about God when we worry. Either he's not good or he's not God. Either he doesn't care or he can't do anything about it. And when you get into that condition, you just need to remember the lessons of life. Sharpen your spiritual eyes because those lessons remind us who He is and that He's good. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. The Pharisees were granted a sign, were not granted a sign at their demand and the disciples had too. How many of you had? You've had more than two, haven't you? God worked in your life sometime in the past? Why is it so easy to think that God will forsake us now? He won't. This whole thing ends with with hope. Verse 21. may not be in some of your translations, but it's there. He, He was saying to them, do you not yet understand? That's the idea. One word. It makes... Them different from the Pharisees. It makes them different from unbelievers yet. You don't get it yet. The disciples were yet to understand, but they will. And you and I have a lot of things yet to understand, don't we? But you will. And one day, all of those quagmires and questions, that you can't figure out why did that happen or why didn't that happen or I can't understand that about God they'll all just be swept away in the presence of, of His glory. And in the meantime, don't preoccup- be preoccupied by earthly things. Beware the influence of godless things. Receive the spiritual things that God brings to your soul. Pursue them. Don't reject them. Don't resist them. And then remember what God's done in the past because the God that did it in the past will do it again. In the future, remember what you've experienced. Don't you bow your heads. What about you? Do you 
You say this morning, there's some things I have yet to understand. Maybe you have yet to come to Christ. Would you humbly admit that to the Lord this morning? Lord, I, I don't yet understand, but I want to. He's not going to leave you in darkness. He's good. The whole reason that He came, the whole reason that He gave us the Bible was so that you could understand that He could reveal Himself. You'll just humbly come to Him with a teachable heart. He'll show you exactly who He is and how you can be saved from eternal darkness, which is eternity without Him. Father, thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the battle. Thank You for the discipline. Thank You for being aware, calling us back when we're preoccupied. Thank You for softening our hardened hearts when they develop calluses. Thank you for all the things that you've done in the past. Oh, Lord, do, do things today. Pray that you would encourage the believer that's here this morning that just says, I don't understand, that you would help them rest in who you are. Help the, the person who has yet to come to Christ this morning, Father. Help them to repent and believe and know you're good. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.